Well, hello, travellers. Welcome again to the Phil Hoffman Travel Podcast. It is great to have your company as we go around the world. And today you're in for a real treat because we'll be talking about India today. And normally when you think of India, certainly when I think of India, it's cricket, it's Sachin Tendulkar, it's a hot curry, it's a little bit of Bollywood, and it's the Taj Mahal. But there is so much more about India. And to tell us from the Glenelg office, Melanie Wynn. Lovely to see you as always, Melanie. Hi, Leith. How are you going? Is there a place you haven't been? Well, you and I, we seem to be doing this podcast <laughs> a lot, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, I've been to a lot of places, but I, but I get asked, um, having been in the industry for over 30 years, what is your favourite destination? And I'd say India. Is that right? And I'd say it because of the, the, the length, the breadth, the diversity of India. There's, there's something like 17 official languages spoken in India in addition to English, which is the, uh, um, if you like, the court or judicial or governmental sort of language. Yep. So just the scope of India and the belief structure. You've got Hindus, you've got uh, uh, Muslims, you've got, of course, uh, um, people who subscribe to Jainism and to Sikhism. There are so many different sort of creeds and beliefs and different colours of people as well. You've got sort of um, very dark people in the south and very pale people in the north. And if you're from the Assam region, you may very well have sea green coloured eyes. They're right. Yeah, it's just crazy. This podcast on India will much be like the country of India itself. I'm not quite sure where to start. This could be <laughs> yeah. hustle and bustle because yeah. there is so much yeah. to talk about. Let's talk about, I guess your first expectations when you go to India and what you find when you arrive. Okay. Well, it is uh, it is as big as big and as colourful and as sort of popurish as, as you would imagine it to be. Um, I mean, we're talking nearly 1.2 billion people in India. Billion. Billion. With a B. Not million, we're talking no. billion, With right? So it doesn't matter where you are, you know, so you could be driving along and there isn't um, a loose stop for hours. So you, you stop in an apparently sort of um, very kind of remote sort of area to sort of like, you know, leave the vehicle and sort of like go and spend a penny behind a bush mm -hmm. and then you sort of get behind that bush and there's an entire village just there that you never <laughs> even knew about from the roadside. So um, there are there are people sort of everywhere. Um, and they that, don't that put one that in the brochures. They should put that in the <laughs> yeah, brochures. That's that it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't paint it in a very romantic way from sort of the outset, but I, I suppose my, my first sort of um, impressions of India... I suppose were the, uh, the the levels of humanity. The yep. the amount of people is just is just incredible, and I think the color and the diversity as well. I mean, there's just such. Um, it's it's like a Technicolor movie when you're driving along. You know, like to drive between say here and Broken Hill in five hours, you're going to meet a couple of kangaroos and a few emus if you're lucky, and a few local towns. You know, Burra en route and Hallett and other sort of places. Um, in India, um, a drive is just an absolute sort of assault on the senses. It's mm. incredible. Um, it's an incredible feast for the eyes. There's always something new to see. Um, we're always passing villages and townships and things like this. And the people, particularly of the northern region of India, which is the area that I'm going to sort of focus on today, um, is a very colourful area. So it's the land of the Rajputs. And the Rajputs, of course, were the, the rulers um, yep. of India. All the while the Raj were there, which was the British Raj, and they were basically... Uh, um, I suppose, governing sort of India, as it were. I mean, you can hardly imagine this happening today, but um, India, of course, claimed its independence in 1947. But um, until that point, during the Raj era, the British basically did everything from taxes on salt to basically occupying the country and having um, a summer capital in the shape of Madras and a, and, a, and a winter capital as well in the shape of Shimla and sort of um, Delhi. So yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of the lasting legacy of the Brits there right down to eating cornflakes and things for breakfast, you know. Okay. But um, in terms of um, the before the Raj sort of area, you had, of course, the uh, the princely rulers, the Maharajas and, the, and their Maharanis. And the, uh, the legacy of that time are, of course, all of the palaces and forts and havelis and castles and things like this, which were thrown open to sort of like um, bring about 
tourism yep. into uh, to India. So you've got sort of, um, I suppose, dizzying wealth on the one hand and dizzying sort of poverty on the other. But then you've got all of the amazing colours as well of this mm. region, you know, with all these amazing sort of coloured saris, which um, if anyone didn't know, saris can be anywhere up to about six metres in length. Wow. So you can go to Because it seems shops. like a country of diversity or at oh, least yeah. difference where, as you say, there are extremely wealthy and then yeah. there is extreme poverty. Yeah, absolute poverty. But what I would say of the Indians is that they're very sort of um, 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 big donators. They, uh, uh, they're they big philanthropists. They like to believe that they're going to go on to something better when they leave um, or they drop off this mortal coil. So yep. um, there is a lot of assistance sort of given in the shape of alms and free meals and things like this to people less fortunate. So um, I certainly never saw anyone starving in India. Um Everyone has usually a square meal per day, but some, you know, I mean, there are millions of people who have nothing but the shirt on their backs. Mm. But what I would say of the people that I encountered, whether they were in markets, on streets and everywhere else, um, people, if they had nothing else, they'd give you the brightest smile you've ever seen. Um, so I'd say, you know, Indian hospitality is probably um, famous. Yep. You know, they they know how to, to deliver on hospitality, I think, better than we do in the West. Um, I mean, I don't think we've got any idea in the West, when, you know, as compared to when you travel to the East. I mm. mean, the hospitality heaped on you in, from the moment you went to a hotel, you know, with a cooling or hot towel and um, a nice drink or something. <laughs> and quite apart from, you know, checking into your hotel, just sit and get your breath back first yep. and uh, relax and just take it all and, in, and enjoy yourself. Um, so it's something I really love about India, I think, is the hospitality that sets it apart from other places. In if the people world. are visiting India for the first time, are yeah. we going to the north? I think so, yeah. And the north, um, where I say the north, it means coming into Delhi, okay? So um, Delhi, the uh, the capital, which is comprised of old and new Delhi. So you've got New Delhi, which is very ordered. It was designed by the Raj architect Edward Luchens. Um, so it, it has a lot more sort of orderliness um, right from Rashtrapati Bhavan, which is the uh, the government house, as it were, the, the, the parliamentary seat, mm. and all of its sort of cantonments that sort of um, are arranged off the mall. The mall being the uh, uh, the extended sort of road that sort of travels all the way down to India Gate, which is the uh, the the monument that looks a little bit like the Arc de Triomphe, yep. um, in deference to India's war dead. So it's a very sort of ordered and organised sort of uh, suburb or enclave of Delhi. And then you've got Old Delhi, and Old Delhi has um, Kutub Minor, it has Chandni Chowk, the bazaar. There's power lines going everywhere. There's vendors selling goodness knows what, yep. um, and it's it's quite sort of disordered and sort of disorganized and and hey it is because it's been there since pre-medieval times you know so um but what i would say of delhi is that it has a lovely green lung as well there's some beautiful parks that you can uh, visit and so i found parts of that um, area of the city a little redolent of singapore right so uh, quite quite sort of attractive because you sort of sense. see in hollywood that side of india that is hustle and bustle yeah, power yeah, lines yeah, everywhere yeah chaotic traffic so there are other sides of that yeah there are yeah even in the same yeah. city and very sort of ordered and organized sort of areas and very beautiful areas in fact um this beautiful big park that i allude to is actually um where you'll find the guts the funeral guts g-h-a-t-s the guts of um of course mahatma gandhi mm -hmm. and of course um the gandhi unrelated dynasty um so we're talking indira gandhi and of course rajiv his son who were both assassinated, their funeral guts are located in this fantastic park. We had a, a lovely walk around this park and we went and saw um, the, the Mahatma Gandhi, Mahandas Karamchit Gandhi's funeral gut, um, where in Hindu you've got his last words he ever uttered before he was assassinated, the words Hiram, Hiram. 
meaning, oh God, oh God, before he was sort of shot dead. Yep. Um, and it's in one of the cantonments just off that sort of governmental sort of area where you'll find Birla House or Gandhi House where he did a lot of his famous weaving and, uh, and where he lived and where he met um, his end in front of his Muslim uh, assassinator. So there's a lot of history just sort of in yeah. sort of Delhi alone. Um, so I, I found it a, a really nice city to sort of get around and lots to sort of see and do. Um, lots of good restaurants. Um, there's some very nice um, hotels located sort of on and just off Connaught um, Circus. Um, but also in an area now called Gagan as well, G-U-R-G-A-O-N. And Gagan is um, a bit of a sort of business enclave of um, Delhi, but there are a lot of hotels that have grown up sort of around that sort of area as well. It's interesting you look at the geography of it. Yes. And if you're a sporting fan, you know yes. all of these places. Oh, yeah. We're not yeah. quite sure <laughs> what to expect, though. And that's, yeah. I guess, the mystery and excitement of India that we know a little bit about yeah. Delhi. We know a little bit about Mumbai as well. But in that vicinity, sort of Jaipur and Agra, yes, beautiful part of India. Oh, absolutely. And, and the good thing now, I mean, when, when I first started going out to India, um, some of the um, the highways weren't all that good and they've now actually turned them into fantastic dual carriageways. So it is a lot easier to get from A to B by road. Like we used to sort of get up and I used to ask my driver or my, my person taking me around, okay, so we're heading out today because I'd go out there for two, three, four weeks at a time with work and um, – Oh, we have a very long journey today. I said, how far is it? He said, oh, it's at least 250 kilometres. I said, well, we're getting up at 6am. What time are we going to be arriving? You know, and it'd be sort of four o'clock in the afternoon. And it's because of the congestion that used to exist on those roads. Yep. Whereas today, of course, um, not only are there the trains that were always sort of um, hurtling along those routes, but also um, some fantastic road systems out of Delhi down to Agra and, of course, to Jaipur as well. And it's Agra that you head to for arguably the most famous site in India, and that's the Taj Mahal. Mm. Um, and that was built to commemorate, um, unfortunately, the, the demise, the death of Mumtaz Mahal, who gave um, birth and died trying. Yep. Um, and it was her husband who was absolutely bereft. And he said, let's knock an edifice up um, in a vision of marble for my beloved wife. So it's actually a mausoleum rather than uh, a structure that sort of like um, um, becomes a restaurant or anything like that. Yep. It's, it's, it's a, it's a full-blown full mausoleum. And she's interred sort of um, underneath. So it's one of those absolute sort of splendiferous visions. You see sort of the, the Taj in front of you and you've just got to go up and touch yeah. it and see yep. it and everything else. And it's really worth coming up to it really close because you've got this amazing sort of inlaid um, stonework known as Pietra Dura. Um, so these really, really sort of beautiful sort of semi-precious stones inlaid into this very, very, very uh, tough, durable sort of marble. And everyone needs to have the Diana moment by sitting on the Diana seat in yep. front of the Correct. Taj Mahal to get the picture taken. I was going to say, arguably the most photographed building in the world. I mean, you put it, it in is, the list yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, you know, with the pyramids and with Christ the Redeemer. It's in those sort of oh, yeah. seven wonders And it's of one the of those ooh-ah sort of moments, Leith, to be honest. It's, um, you get there and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, pinch me. I mean, yep. I, I really am here. It's it's. I it's saw a documentary once saying that it's perfect from every angle yeah, in terms is. of a masterpiece of architecture. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And it, it actually sits on a water table as well, which allows for... Um, um, you know, any movements in the foundations and that sort of thing. But there is some problems with um, uh, the Taj Mahal um, and I think that perhaps UNESCO need to step up step up, and make things a little bit more tough on the Indian government in terms of um, its preservation mm-hmm. uh, because the Yamuna River that backs out onto the, the back of the Taj Mahal is very, very heavily polluted. Um, and, of course, with the pollution, of course, comes insects and the insects leave droppings, of course, all over the Taj Mahal. So there has been extensive cleaning yep. using Fuller's mud and, um, and other things to sort of bring out the impurities from the, uh, the white sort of coloured marble. And it's thought that just across the Yamuna uh, have been found foundations, 
where Emperor Akbar wanted to uh, uh, build his own mausoleum. Um, and his own mausoleum was going to be constructed in even the more rare black marble. Right. But it never got tough first base because his son threw him in jail. So oh, yeah. uh, that was the end of that. So uh, <laughs> so just the one exit. Yeah. Is there protocols when you go to the Taj Mahal as a There tourist? is, yeah. You've got, to, you've got to take your shoes off if you want to step up onto the, the marble um, edifice. So you leave your shoes with what is termed a shoe waller. And a shoe waller will look after your shoes um, and guard them zealously for about 10 to 15 rupees. So uh, that, that's, that's probably about the only sort of measure of decorum, yep. so to speak. Okay. What yeah. would that price be roughly? I mean, that's oh, nothing. Ten to f- you can hardly measure it in our, in our money, actually. It's about <laughs> five or ten cents. Is that right? Yeah. Because 100 rupees is, um, is just over a dollar. Yep. So it's a place that you'll feel like a millionaire when you exchange sort of any money, really. Do you think most people go to India for the Taj Mahal and then from there go around and see whatever they want yeah, to see? Yeah, it's the, the Taj Mahal and the magic of India, I suppose, just to sort of go there and um, be curious and see what else there is. I mean, from Agra, you would then tend to head to um, Jaipur. And Jaipur is regarded as, uh, regarded as the pink city yep. um, of India, or the pink city of Jaipur, it's called, and it's the, the capital of Rajasthan. Rajasthan is probably the ultimate state in, uh, in, in India because... Um, of course, it offers Rajasthan, uh, sorry, offers Jaipur, the pink city, mm-hmm. but also uh, Jodhpur, the blue city, uh, which is where, of course, we get those funny uh, trousers that we That's wear right. um, when, when we're we around ride. horses. Correct. That's right, yeah. Um, it's known as the blue city. It was painted sort of a blue colour to keep it cool and to keep the mosquitoes down, whereas Jaipur was painted pink, and not, not the pink that we know your, your shirt to be, but yep. the pink, um, uh, like a brownie sort of pink, which is a very welcoming colour in India, and it was to welcome the future George V when he came out. So. Okay. Um, and there's an amazing place called the um, Amber Fort, which you can travel up to. And it's absolutely strewn with Barbary sort of monkey-type apes and yep. um, all over the... Well, baboons, in fact. Um, I'm not sort of well up on my primates, but um, it's a fantastic <laughs> so place to... you don't know. That's, <laughs> not I've too much you. about primates. Finally, I've got you. That's it, yeah. <laughs> so you can have sort of fantastic sort of views. And it's a nice sort of insight into perhaps how things were in the 16th and 17th centuries for sort of Indian royalty. But what I love about Jaipur, when you come back into Jaipur, not only is there the uh, the Maharaja's Palace, mm-hmm. but there's a place called Janta Manta, J-A-N-T-A-R Manta, M-A-N-T-A-R. Janta, Janta Manta, it was basically created by a guy called Jai Singh, who was uh, another uh, um, um, uh, ruler of um, the region, another... Um, a uh, very powerful man, and he was fully into astronomy. And he created this amazing park, and it's um, um, it's not only astrology but also um, uh, sundials and moondials and all sorts of things, and they still work today. And I was mm-hmm. completely fascinated by all of this. And then we went and took a look around in the city palace, and they, they produced these amazing miniature paintings, and it's the, uh, the miniature artists of the palace that create these uh, extraordinary paintings that you can buy while you're there. And they're all painted on ancient court papers from the, the 19th century so i bought a couple of those so it's quite remarkable what you can buy and some amazing hand-hewn padlocks mm. not the kind of lockwood padlocks that you stick on your, yep. your gates but yep. beautifully um um honed and crafted padlocks in the shape of um rhino heads and elephant heads and all okay. this sort of stuff so quite a remarkable little place is um Jaipur, very atmospheric before we talk about uh the food of india yeah. tips that people need to know when they go to india the weather etc if i was to ask you to give me a list of four or five things that are absolute must-sees. If people are making the effort and they're going all the way to India, uh, no doubt the Taj Mahal is on the list. The yep. pink city, the blue city. Is yep. there other things that must people need to try and yeah, sneak into the Yeah, you probably need to go to Udapur, which is the lake city. So it's another one of the Purs. 
uh, I call them the purr. So you've got, you've got Jodhpur, you've got um, Jaipur, and then you've got Udapur, which is known as the lake city for Lake Piccola and the fantastic hotel that sits in the middle of the lake. Um, I definitely head to Varanasi, which is the beating heart of the Hindu universe. Mm-hmm. And it's where you find, of course, the River Ganges. Yep. And it's where a lot of people sort of immerse themselves in the uh, the holy life-giving waters. And it's also where they hold one of the biggest events on earth. It's known as the Kumbhala, which um, attracts absolutely millions of people. Um, it's a place where Hindus also want to, to be received on death. So it's where they, they are cremated. And interred into the uh, the River Ganges there at Varanasi. Also very famous for its um, musical instrument industry, um, great curries there, and amazing saris as well. So a really atmospheric place to go. The second most visited place in India is the temples of Kajuraho. Kajuraho. Now, right. Kajuraho is still a flight um, between basically Delhi and Varanasi. It's about halfway between. And we normally combine it or tell people to combine it as part of a, um, a trip to... Uh, um, a tiger park not located not very far away from there. Um, but Kajuraho is famous for its Dravidian temples, which were created in about the 9th and 10th centuries. And on really close inspection, Leith, you'll see every position of the Kama Sutra depicted on these temples. I've heard this. Yeah. I've heard this. Yeah. In fact, Eye-watering. I, I don't want to name names, but there was yeah. a particular Phil Hoffman travel employee who was more impressed by that than the yeah. Taj Mahal, yeah. which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. So, that's so uh, yeah, well. quite remarkable to go and see the uh, the temples there at Kajuraho. And look, you know, if you're into um, um, tigers, um, Bengal tigers, I mean, unfortunately, yep. there are more of them up on walls in um, stately homes and bars and things like that in India than there are live ones these days. But um, a couple of places that are really good to go and see the tigers are Pench National Park, Bandhavgar National Park and Karna National Park and you can do those as a triangle mm-hmm. out of uh, Delhi. Um, there's also a place called Corbett's which was of course the um, the inspiration for Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book okay. and Mowgli and all yep. that sort of thing. Yep. Um, but there aren't too many in the way of um, tiger population there or even at Ronthambore. So your best bet is uh, as I said Karna, Bandhavgar and Pench National Parks. So those would be definitely regions that I would travel to. And then if you want to seek the cool respite of the foothills, then head up to Shimla. You could head to Rishikesh, which is very famous for its yoga. And it's where the Beatles met their guru back yep. in the 1960s and put Rishikesh on the map. Right. And then, of course, you can head across to Calcutta, or Kolkata as it's called today, the black hole of Calcutta. There's nothing black about it. It's, it's, it's actually a lovely city. And it's a fantastic gateway to um, that Bengal region, to um, Bhubaneswar and its famous temples, but also up north to a place called Darjeeling, which is, of course, very famous for its tea plantations. There's an amazing toy train that heads up there. So for Indian rail buffs, there's some remarkable trains that head up that way. And a really, really fantastic national park called Kazaranga, which is famous for its uh, rhino populations. In amongst all this, Mm. you haven't mentioned Mumbai. Okay. Okay. Do we dodge Mumbai? No. Is it not on a list no, of the first no, things No, absolutely. To see? Absolutely go to, to Mumbai. If you're not coming between and doing the route between basically Delhi across to the uh, to the east of Varanasi, yep. then travel Delhi via those points, so via um, Agra and Jayapur and um, Udapur, then you can travel down via a hillside station just outside of Mumbai and then come into charismatic right. Mumbai or Bombay, as I still sort of prefer to call it. It's just yep. easier. It rolls off the tongue. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really lovely city. Um, there's a place called... Um, Ocean Drive uh, or Victoria Drive, which is sort of, uh, if you like, the waterfront of Mumbai. And it's where I very first tried an Indian snack known as um, Balpuri, um, B-H-E-L-Puri, P-U-R-Y. And okay. it's a, a fantastic little snack of um, 
uh, crispy rice lentils and uh, um, little peas and uh, um, chopped up um, onion and tomato and <laughs> potato and you have it like in a cone cup and you just sort of more or less inhale it and it's really lovely. Um, and there are lots and lots of vendors along the waterfront there that sell Balpuri. So um, I had my first taste of Balpuri there. And, and Bombay itself, or Mumbai as I should rightly call it, um, is a very, very busy city. It's, it's, it's a bit – it has a little bit of uh, a magnetism. A lot of people are um, – are drawn to the bright lights and big city that is yep. Mumbai. Um, everyone's seeking their fortunes and trying to star in a movie because it's, of course, churning out more movies than Hollywood yep. um, in terms of uh, Bollywood productions. Um, but then um, there's a lot of homeless people, of course, in Mumbai as well. So you see the dizzyingly rich and the dizzyingly poor uh, right from the time you arrive, really, at uh, Mumbai Airport. So when you see something like a slumdog millionaire... yeah. Are you talking Mumbai or is that more Delhi? What's the... Mumbai. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's poverty right across um, India. Don't get me wrong. It's yep. not something I can sort of gloss over and varnish because it really does exist. Um, and a lot of people sort of go there with the intention of, I'll help everyone, but you, you, you can't help everyone. So what I always say to people is rather than sort of, you know, give out money and that sort of thing, just to give, you know, sweets and biros and things like that. Yep. So the idea is, I, I think, to take four or five kilos of bits and pieces that you can pick up in cheapest chips, yep. you know, balls and uh, 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 pens and yep. um, colourful paper and card games and things like that, little reading books, and they make remarkable gifts when you're in small villages and that sort of thing. So uh, it's Because nice I guess way. India is it, as a whole, if you're planning your trip, it's so big, it's so it wide that it's hard to narrow down what you would do yes. on one particular trip. But you've certainly told us about the, the cities and the towns that we need to visit. Yep. Let's narrow down, as we often do on this podcast, let's narrow down to the food because <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. a lot of people, for a lot of people that travel, yeah. you know, food is such an important part oh, of that. And, and it, some of the great memories are from yeah. meals that you've had, dishes yeah, that really you've is. tried. And I, and I think a lot of that is, um, and I think a lot of the public sort of imagination for it is shaped by a lot of the food shows on TVs these yep. days. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, education around food these days and more of it arriving in Australia. I mean, certainly since I've been here in the last sort of nine, ten years, there's been a lot more in the way of Indian grocers sort of popping up. So mm. you can practice this magic at home. But I would still say, hand over heart, that the best Indian food in the world is, is Indian food in India. Yep. Um, and, you know, when, when we say curry, we think of um, in, inferno industrially hot food. Yep. And it isn't. It's Curry is actually quite aromatic. And Vindaloo is not an Indian invention. It's something that was invented for 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 Brits that wanted sort of bum-burningly hot curries. Um, <laughs> and they really are hot, the vindaloo. Yep. My sister loves vindaloo. Beef vindaloo is something you would never get in India because no. beef isn't served. Correct. Beef is only served in the south in places like Goa where you've got sort of Christian sort of Catholic populations where you can get yourself a cheeseburger. Yep. But even in McDonald's, you can't get yourself uh, a Big Mac. You can only get yourself a Maharaja Mac, is which is a chicken right? Mac. Yeah. Yeah. So no beef at no all. No beef at all. No wow. beef. So they've not been able to. Uh, uh, Ray Crocs Corporation has not been able yep. to sort of make inroads there and bring about the beef burger. So you got so power when you can't get McDonald's to serve a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, that that's is. it. That's pretty powerful, you know. And that's the the power um, over which uh, you know the Hindu population have yep. in terms of their preferences. So when I first got to India, it was um, it was a lamb mac. It was a lamb maharaja mac, and there was just something that wasn't that that <laughs> that you get when you have a you know a hot beef injection, whereas yep. when I came a couple of years later back to India, um, they'd substituted the lamb out for, for chicken. Yep. And it just tasted ever so slightly kind of not right. Um, no. It was kind of halfway there, but not the full way there with the special sauce and everything else. But you don't go to India for, you know, McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> you know, you go there for, for curries. And Correct. I tell you what, the curries um, uh, is, are just extraordinary. What you'll find in the north, 
is that they tend to be uh, uh, far milder than they are in the south. Mm-hmm. In the south, they do tend to be spicy. So um, zucchini is a, pot- a popular one that you'll find sort of around the Goa sort of region, Kerala. And they're quite sort of, uh, you know, sharp and spicy and they're tempered quite often with coconut milk. And that's to provide the cooling effect. Yep. So because it's so uh, tropical down south. So... You sweat when you have a curry and then you cool off. That's the whole idea. Whereas in the north, they tend to be sort of more sort of um, yogurt and sort of tomato based. So a lot of um, um, ginger and uh, garlic sort of forms the basis, a paste with the tomatoes and then uh, the curry's built. Um, probably one of my favourite curries is is probably sort of anything sort of sort of chickeny, you know, yep. chicken tikka masala, which again is a co- of course a British invention, but it's 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 more sort of like a um, what they call a chicken makni or a, a butter chicken sort of um, in India, um, but a really particularly uh, nice variant um, is anything with paneer, and paneer is the cheese, so it's like a cottage cheese, but okay. not the cottage cheese that we get in this country. So it's quite firm, yep. but not as squeaky as halloumi. And that's placed in a lot of different sort of curry dishes. So suspended in like a, a beautiful curry gravy, yep. or you can have it sort of on uh, uh, kebab sort of style. Um, you can have it sort of um, uh, chicken sort of uh, tandoor style, sort of um, cooked in the tandoor oven. Beautiful. Um, and then, of course, uh, the naan breads and things like that. Naan this. bread as far as the eye can see. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, they'll, they'll bring out a, uh, a great big basket of naan bread to start with and you'll just be ready to take your second <laughs> or third slice. And they'll, no, no, madam. And, th- and they'll bring you like a fresh wodge of... Uh, uh, naan bread mm, so uh, after two or three minutes they'll be bringing out more from the oven and then of course there are all the pulses and the vegetable dishes as well so yep. you've got sort of um, bindi or okra ladies fingers they call them and they're uh, often suspended in a sauce or they're, they're cooked sort of flash fried in um, um, like a crispy sort of tempura style batter and, batter and they're really really popular Indian Chinese as well is particularly good do you need an iron gut to eat on the street or is it safer um, to stick to a restaurant yeah, you probably are safer sticking to restaurants. I mean, the soothsayers out there will say, oh, no, you're talking a load of rubbish. But um, you just got to be a bit careful about the, um, the levels of hygiene. Um, you know, the, is it cooked in, in good fresh oil, that yep. sort of thing. I think if uh, I think it's fair to say that if the crowds are fast moving and the, the food's disappearing quite quickly, then sure, well, then why not, you know. Um, I mean, I've eaten food on trains. I've eaten food in sort of the dodgiest looking sort of petrol stations with restaurants attached. And you just, (laughs) okay, it's hot. Let's just go for it. And geez, it tastes absolutely wonderful, you know, um, with the breads and everything else. What I would say is to um, fill up on yogurt. Um, Yogurt is served quite often with meals as a a bit of a palate sort of cleanser. Mm -hmm. And it also acts as a fantastic sort of gut liner as well. So... It's a, a great means of um, um, keeping yourself top of the pops in that department. And drink lots of water. And you can buy bottled water everywhere, Leith. Yeah, you know? I was going to say, you would no doubt with the weather, obviously, uh, and the warmth of India as well. So for people that are listening, they're thinking about doing India. Uh, people have reservations. Some people are thinking it's too busy. There's too many people. Can you give us some tips and tricks before we go yeah. as to what, what you'd wish you'd been told before you went to India or the thing that you tell every person you know is going to India? I, I always say to people, if you're going to go to India, give, give it a give it a red-hot nudge. Give, give it sort of somewhere between 10 and 14 days mm-hmm. to do sort of the uh, the route of the circuit that I, that I sort of just, sub- just subscribed to. Uh, make sure that you pack your little medical kit with some Lomitil, some anti-diarrhea, because yep. it's worth it because yep. I won't gloss over it. You probably will get a tummy bug of some sort while you're mm-hmm. there, so pack some of that accordingly. So it's a bit like when you go to Bali, for example. They, it they can always be, say, yeah. just be careful it, it with can the water. It can be, just, yep. yeah. Um, Imodium is your friend. Imodium is your friend. Um, Fresh water is your friend. Um, Mm -hmm. Nice bottled water. Perform all your ablutions with that. So teeth cleaning and all that sort of thing. Uh, Make sure that you're in a good state of health before you go, you know, in in the sense that you're at the best you can possibly be to sort of fight anything that might sort of happen your way. 
Um, take some um, antibacterial wipes to sort of keep your hands clean, that sort of thing. Um, purchase your money when you get there. Um, you'll only need a couple of hundred dollars. You're not going to need a king's ransom to sort of get around. Um, it's very easy to sort of like get a car and driver and do a tour that way rather than a big sort of guided tour if you want to. Um, I think some those are some of the things that I wished I'd known sort of, I suppose, the first or second time that I went there. Yep. And also take a... Um, um, like a, a small sort of hand towel that you can sort of like rinse in water, wring out and keep around your neck. Because if you are there somewhere between sort of March and May, it can get really quite warm. Um, and your head is one of the first things that either get yeah. very cold and lose body warmth in the uh, the cold yep. or they get very hot. Um, I was going to ask that because you think the about the heat time. of India. Is it a dry heat? Is it's it a very humid dry, heat? Very dry, very yeah. dry like here. So um, particularly sort of around sort of the Thar Desert region which exists right throughout sort of Rajasthan, sort of around sort of that Jayapur, sort of Jodhpuri, sort of Bikina Jaisalmer region. Temperatures up there sort of uh, from about sort of March, April onwards through to May before the monsoon can get anywhere up to about like 45 degrees. So the, the heat reminds me of here and it reminds me of Luxor in Egypt where that sure. heat's really dry. So, yep. you know, that sort of stuff to sort of keep yourself cool is a really nice idea. But just by far and away, drinking stacks of water. And as I said, you can get it everywhere. And you can buy, you know, lemonade, sugary pop drinks and that sort of thing as well. So, um, you know, anything um, you need, you can buy in India. You know, yep. it can be had for, for a price. And, and of course, God knows the shopping is amazing as well. I was going to say, so for everything that, you know, people talk about India, yeah. you speak so fondly and high of it that you would put it on people's lists well oh, up the top yeah, to go Yeah, absolutely. Visit. Oh, yeah. yeah I, well, look, I said it's my number one destination, mm. but um, I, I think it's up there in the top 10 in terms of a cultural exchange. You know, the culture is amazing. The history is amazing. The people are incredible. The shopping is wonderful. The gastronomy is just off the scale. You know, the, the food is amazing. The, the variety of Indian food easily rivals anything you would find in China. China at the other end of the extreme. I think they are two of the great cuisines of the world, Indian and Chinese, you know, and they've really sort of made their way through to the Australian sort of uh, palate as well. There, There is a good Indian takeaway in just about sort of most yep. suburbs of Adelaide now, such as the way Aussies embrace let's say, a Ruby Murray. <laughs> and did you get to roll the arm over at all? You play any cricket with the locals? Because you, you hear that, that <laughs> well, there's yeah, games the of cricket thing. going yeah. on everywhere. There's, there's cricket, cricket City and not, not only there, but in the Teardrop Isle in Sri Lanka as well, they're mad for it. Mm. But um, the Indians are often asking, so what do you think of the cricket scores? You know, they're, they're quite sort of <laughs> uh, uh, lovers of the uh, the fine game and do it very well. And that, that's where you've got that nice sort of exchange between the two countries, particularly between... Um, India and the UK because of the, uh, um, I suppose, the background with the Raj and everything mm -hmm. else. A lot of my friends in the UK were Anglo-Indians, um, um, children born of Indian parents that had migrated in the 40s and 50s. So, you know, it's very, very easy to get sort of Indian food and exchanges of culture and that sort of thing. And cricket helps that. But it's also helped it here as well. So if you're heading over for the big game, you know, yep. in any of those cities, and you'd know Amazing. a bit more about cricket than mm. I would, combine it with something in India because you just won't be disappointed. Be superb. Melanie, thank you so much for talking Thanks, us Lee. through India. Melanie Wynn from the Glenelg office. If you want to find out anything about India, of course, you can go to any of the 10 Phil Hoffman travel offices. You can find out more online at pht.com.au. And, of course, there are the social media channels as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast.